going to start off this evening uh, with a joke, and in a minute you'll understand why I don't do this very often. Why do the scientists do equations in the lift? Because he wanted them to work on so many levels. Yeah, you see now why I don't do that very often. But uh, the Psalms are there, and they work on so many levels uh, as we uh, come to them this evening. The Psalms work uh, personally, they work privately, they work emotionally, theologically, Christologically. They come at us in different stages of life, and they still work. In different parts of the world, they're read, and they still work. They work on so many levels. And it's pretty incredible to think that that happens. Because actually, they were uh, written over hundreds of years, right from Moses uh, to after the exile. They were written by many different authors. Uh, David wrote 75 of them. Uh, Asaph wrote 12. The sons of Korah, 11. Solomon, 2. Moses, 1. My favourite one is a teenager, He-Man. Uh, not the He-Man master of the universe. Uh, wrote 1. Um, Ethan the Ezraite wrote 1. And then the remaining 48 uh, are anonymous. And they're written with different situations in mind too. Uh, one thing to note as we go through uh, the Psalms is that the headings, not the ones that just tell you what the Psalm is about, but the headings that tell you who wrote them uh, and the situation, they're there in the original. So in many Bibles, in many languages across the world, they're verse 1, which sort of throws everything off if you're trying to work out which verse you're talking about, but it reminds us that they're actually there in the original. But even those headings, they range from running for your life uh, to going... Uh, uh, up to the temple, to sorrow, uh, after committing adultery. There are all sorts uh, of different situations, different things that mean that these psalms have been written. We don't know exactly who put them together, maybe Ezra, but it's definitely after the Babylonian exile. As Boney M reminds us periodically, they were weeping at the rivers of Babylon uh, in Psalm 137, so it's got to be after that time that they were put together. But one of the unique things with the Psalms, compared to the other books that we've looked at, is because such, it's such a big book, and because it deals with such a breadth of human emotion and experience, it's actually really hard to sort of get down to one particular message, one particular thing that it's saying, other than the sort of broad themes of Scripture. But it's got that breadth, and yet it tells us it's the Word of God, it's speaking into our lives. It's there in the original context, it's seen through Christ, but it's also real to us now, isn't it, as we read it uh, together. I just want to share some things that stand out about the Psalms in the way that they are uh, put together. We're not going to do every single Psalm, obviously, uh, as we go through. But just a few things that stand out. They're personal, yet public. As you read some of the Psalms, it almost sounds like you're reading someone's diary. David shares with things, uh, with us things that perhaps you wouldn't even share so easily with a bringing share group. Things perhaps you might not even share with your friends. Struggles, things that he's thinking about, things that he's struggling with. How at points he feels abandoned. How at other points he feels confused, how he feels convicted of sin. These aren't normally things that we often are very open about sharing with other people. The Psalms use phrases about God that are gushingly personal. You know, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. That's a lot more emotional than perhaps often we would we would share. Perhaps it's our Britishness, I don't know. God is referred to in, in, in wonderful ways. The strength of my life, my hiding place, my refuge, my exceeding joy. There's a real personal relationship happening there. And at points, it's like the psalmists are allowing us to listen into their private prayers. 
as they talk to God, as they share their thoughts, their worries, their concerns. And yet, even though there's all that personal aspect to it, the songs are given for us to sing. That's why we sang one at the beginning. This was to be used in public worship. This was the hymn book for the nation, if you like. And yet it's got that personal aspect to it at the same time. And that can feel a, a little bit strange, can't it? Perhaps we're not used to, to sharing in that way. Perhaps it's because we feel the gap between what we read and how we feel ourselves. So I just want to say tentatively to think about, shouldn't our prayers and praise be a bit more like this? We're being given a window into the life of saints, of godly people, and it's put there for us to learn from. And the wonderful thing I find, if it's, if it's really difficult to you say, oh, how can I pray like a psalmist? Well, the wonderful thing is that God has given us the psalms and we can pray through the psalms. We can take their words and pray them to our Heavenly Father. We can take their words and adapt them in our own prayers as we pray to God. Actually, they can help us when we can't find the words to say. Actually, to find the words to say, we can turn psalms into prayers. So that's the first thing, they're personal yet public. Secondly, they're praise, yet prickly. Try to make it all peace. That's probably the, the most tenuous one. But we tend to think the whole of Psalms is praise, or we can sort of fall into that idea, can't we? But it isn't. There is a lot of praise. I mean, the word praise is used 167 times in the Psalms. That's more than once per Psalm, if you think about it. Just so much praise. And there really is some uplifting stuff. This is the sort of thing, isn't it, the book of Psalms that you find on inspirational calendars. You know, where they've got a picture of a sunset or a cat or something. And they put on a, a little sort of verse at the bottom. Or, you know, when people write you a card and they want to be nice to put in the card. Psalms are often what we, we quote, aren't they? And yet, some of the most difficult passages in the Bible are in the Psalms. Psalms of lament that plumb the depths of sorrow. Psalms that speak of the seeming unfairness of life. Psalms that speak about killing babies and breaking enemies' teeth. You don't get so many of them on the calendars, do you? But it's not the psalms that we tend to quote. But this does bring to the psalms a refreshing honesty. It brings to it the psalms a breadth of human experience. We're not always feeling Psalm 148, sort of calling the whole earth to praise the Lord. Sometimes we're feeling down in the pit and confused with David, aren't we? Sometimes we feel a mixture of all sorts of things, and it's so wonderful, isn't it? The Psalms can start in one way, starting you in sort of despair, and then bring you to praise by the end. And it made me think as I was thinking about this aspect of the Psalms that maybe this should affect our public worship. In our public worship, we need the prickly, don't we, as well as the praise. Over the years, I've found it quite hard to find good songs that reflect the attitude of some of the Psalms, unless they're literally Psalms put into music. Longing for justice, mourning over sin, lamenting over difficult circumstances and challenges. Yet there's an awful lot about praising the Lord. Yet these were, as I said, a part of the original songbook for the church, so to speak. And it's right that the minor key is there, along with the major key in our worship. Because actually, that's the breadth of human experience. It allows us to weep with those who weep, as well as rejoice with those who rejoice. So there's praise, but there's pretty bits uh, to the Psalms as well. Thirdly, they're particular yet positioned. Particular yet positioned. 
reason the Psalms are so popular is that they stand alone. Particularly, you can just sort of look at one of them. So you can read a Psalm a day and it will do you good. You know, Psalm 1 today, Psalm 90 tomorrow, Psalm 8 the day after, and it will do you good. You can read them just as a Psalm on their own terms. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, people love them so much. But whoever put them together positioned them carefully. So Psalms 1 and 2, we had Psalm 1 read. Psalm 1 and 2 sort of form an introduction to the whole of the book of Psalms. The idea of the righteous and the wicked. And who is it that's blessed? That follows all the way through the book. Psalm 2 introduces to the Messiah that God has set on Zion, who will rule the world. What we were singing about in Psalm 72. And it reminds us that the Psalms point to Christ, that King, the Son of David. The Psalms end in a very particular way as well. They end with a series of Hallelujah Psalms as a sort of crescendo at the end of the book. Psalms often share words or ideas around surrounding ones. They can often be uh, ones next to each other that share a few words and then those words don't appear in any of the rest of the Psalms. It's almost as though the compiler, you know, writes to get, puts the Psalms out about bed and sleep and thinks, well, I know, I, I know another Psalm about bed and sleep, I'll put that one next, and then that reminds me of this other Psalm. The sorts of, always chain, a daisy chains as you go along. Sometimes Psalms are put together in ways that seem to tell stories. So Psalm 22 to 24 is a classic example. Suffering through death and into resurrection. Check it out for yourself. It's sort of a story that you follow through. The Psalms are also organised into five books, each with their own themes and ideas. They're possibly based on the first five books of the Bible. Now I'm working my way through the Psalms at the moment, trying to test that idea. At the moment, it's inconclusive, in my opinion. Uh, but there's definitely something, something different that feels different in each of the books. There's definitely a different feel and different patterns as you go through those five different books. Whether they're linked with the first five books of the Bible, uh, I don't know. But there's definitely something about the way that they're ordered. So if you're thinking about reading a psalm, and you might want to get something a bit more out of it, don't just read one psalm, read the psalms around it. So if you're deciding, today I'm going to read Psalm 4, why not read Psalm 3 and 5? Not focus on Psalm 4, but think about the psalms that are around it. Often there are explanations, there are expansions, there are other things that you can learn from the psalms around it. Then lastly... They're poetry, yet prophetic. They're poetry, yet prophetic. The Psalms are poetic virtually by definition. There are some of the things that you would expect to find in poetry. Metaphors, that something is something. Simile, something is like something. There's all that bold imagery, God is my rock, my shield, and so on. There's sort of big pictures and picture language. The Psalms, as far as I know, don't rhyme. Though I remember learning from school that poetry doesn't have to rhyme. I always thought that, you know, that's a bit of a cop-out, really. That's the hard bit, to get the lines to rhyme. But that, that's not the only thing that's going on. And that's not the only, only thing you can do in poetry. There are clever plays on words and ideas as you go through. There are even things like acrostics, where each line or verse begins with a, the same letter or the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it sort of works through that A's, this one, B's, this one, C's, this one. There are often two lines that are put next to each other that say the same thing in slightly different ways to give you a bit more information as you go through. So it's really obviously poetry, and we need to read it as such. What it describes is true, but it puts it in poetic language. 
But at the same time, the Psalms are prophetic. Many of the things we think about as prophecies, especially about Christ, are not actually found in what we think of as the prophetic books, but actually in the Psalms. So how about this one? Sacrifice is an offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you take no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Psalm 40. You forget that it's in a psalm. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet. Psalm 8. Again, you think it would be something like Isaiah. I will put, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that they, we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Explaining how Jesus speaks in parables, that's Psalm 78. And then we get the things that Jesus said, things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries that out on the cross, and yet it's Psalm 22. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me, they pierce my hands and my feet. Psalm 22. The lot casting for clothes, the plots of the wicked, the dryness of his mouth, the unbrokenness of his bones, the silence at his trial, the betrayal by a friend, his body not being left to decay. All those things are in the Psalms. In one sense, it's no wonder that the Psalms are the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. 68 times they're quoted in the New Testament. I know you'll all be wondering, next one is Isaiah. Uh, with 55. But God weaves so much of the New Testament story into the words of the Psalms. And so often we find the Psalms on Jesus' lips as though they are his words. So it's a reminder that we must see the Psalm through the lens of Christ. With the Psalms being so personal, it's tempting to just read them as though they're straight into our situation without taking into account the fact that Jesus has come. And it's something that we're sort of encouraged to do. I don't know if you are, we, we, where I was at school, we got a Red Gideon's Bible. And uh, it had New Testament and Psalms. Uh, I was sad, I actually made a waistcoat, still got it, that exactly fits that into the pocket, sort of, made the pocket sort of, so I can carry a Bible around with me. I was a bit of a geek for at school. Um, I was doing sewing, I'm not sure, but anyway. Um, but those Bibles, they, they give you the New Testament and the Psalms. And the sort of impression sometimes is given where you can read the Psalms without sort of uh, understanding the rest as though they're sort of on a par with the New Testament. But actually, we need to remember that the Psalms are in the Old Testament. They're not in a separate category. We need to be careful about just jumping uh, straight into our own experience. All Psalms are Christological. They speak of Jesus. Not just the ones we call Messianic Psalms. In all of them, we need to be seeing Christ which they're there to point us to. There'll be a variety of ways that they do that, because that's how the Psalms work, with them being so varied. But actually, really, the big message of the Psalms, if there is one, is about the Lord Jesus. Having said that, it is okay to see our own experience in the Psalms. As I said at the beginning, they work on so many levels. Actually, part of it, part of the wonder of the Psalms, is that we can read them and pray them as our own. As I say, perhaps that's why so many people have the Psalms as their uh, favourite book. Because of all those levels that they can work at. There are different levels in life, our different experience. I thought we could finish by reading two Psalms together. Uh, we started at the beginning, and Psalm 1, I thought we could read them uh, from the end. 
And uh, you may notice, as I said, that they're next to one another for a reason. They're not just organised randomly. We could also have read Psalm 148, but we won't. We're just going to read Psalm 149 and Psalm 150 uh, together. So if you want to find it in your Bibles, someone shout out page number? 585. Okay, let's read together. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their heads. Let the high praises of God be in their throats, and two-edged swords in their hands, to execute vengeance on the nations, and punishments on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is honour for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud flashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the 